Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of the TTE podcast. And today I've got three special guests. And I think today what we're going to do is run what I like to call the four corner offense, uh, because there's a few um, items I really want to get to some hot topics from a sports perspective. So I have gathered together a collection of gentlemen who know sports inside and out, aren't afraid to share their opinions and really don't care what you think at all. Um, so to introduce everybody, um, Pat Redman, Alan Miser, Brian Tubbs, how you guys doing? Doing well. How you doing? I'm, I'm good, Dennis. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And I, I've never been described so perfectly as what you just said. <laughs> just freeze that, I, I just freeze that moment in time. Yeah, I mean, you can hit, you can actually replay that tomorrow and just hit it over and over again. I'm doing well. Thank you for <clears throat> having me as well uh, to this wonderful show. Probably in the podcast now because it's all downhill from here. Yeah, so that's for sure. Um, we'll just jump right into it. So there's some things that have been on my mind that I want to kind of talk through, and um, I think back to all of the hundreds of happy hours and. The college basketball drafts that we've had, which is a unique thing to us. So for those that don't know, we draft college basketball players like it's fantasy basketball. But that's another conversation for another day. But what I, I, there's a number of things I want to get to. And, and the first thing I really want to talk about is I just want I'm going to open it up to anybody that wants to, to start. But um, I want to talk about what exactly what's your take on the impact that COVID has had on sports. And I say this because while we're recording this, I'm watching the Cardinals at the Seahawks and it looks like football and it sort of feels like football when they pump the sound in, but when they pan towards the seats and the whole thing's empty, it's still, I know that, that there's a whole lot of dynamics in play and I know it doesn't feel right, but to see it visually after all of this time is still really stunning. And I just want to kind of get your thoughts on what, what do you think about COVID's impact on sports at large? So, so you know, Dennis, you, you made the mistake of including me, you know, I'm not afraid to start. I'll start on this. Uh, <coughs> I'm, that's, I'm that's living it on. I'm, I'm living it on a, on a lot of levels, right? The uh, I thought the bubble NBA was ridiculously entertaining. Um, I, I felt like the officiating was very different than our normal NBA regular season, and it really opened the game up, and I thought it was a ton of fun. Um, it's weird not seeing people there. I think you feel that most in college football. Um there are probably some games that we've all watched where like, you know what, if this were your normal Saturday night and no seats were rocking, that play would have been enough to maybe make a seven point swing in this game. Um, and then I'm feeling it on the lower level because, you know, my, my oldest daughter uh, is, is a basketball player and, and we're kind of trying to do this travel basketball thing. And, um, you know, it, it's tough as a human being and a parent to, to balance out, I don't want my daughter falling behind and I want her playing this game that she loves, but how responsible am I being if I take her to a basketball game in, say, New Albany or Big Walnut or something like that? So 
Um, so so I, I know most of our focus is probably going to be on the national scene, and we can stay there for the most part. But it, it's also really interesting the impact it's had locally and, and, and on youth sports as parents try to figure out what's the best thing to do. No, exactly. And I don't think we have to stay on a on a national level at all. I think that's a perspective that I don't think a lot of people either <clears throat> considering or the ones that are um, are certainly can identify with what you're saying. It's just I, I think about something you said. I, watching Ohio State play at Penn State was probably the most shocking thing to my system because for my money, that's the hardest place in college football to play, that place at night when it's pumping, and to see it so empty. Like, you can't tell me that there's that Penn State wouldn't have been closer in that game if the, if the, if the crowd was there. Like, there's just no way you can convince me of that. So, um, but Pat, Brian, what do you guys think? Go ahead, Pat. Um. Uh. Uh, you know, I think fans are assholes for the most part. <laughs> so, uh, I guess, I, I, you know, I think the NBA did a great job, obviously, with the bubble was good. Uh, I don't mind the crowd pumping in noise. I thought baseball, excuse me, baseball really fucked up everything. Uh, they had an opportunity to, to get something hammered out earlier in, the spring, late summer, or late spring, early summer, where they could have played what would have felt like a normal season, you know, 120 games, 130 games, something like that. And, you know, they couldn't get out of their own way. So we got this sham of a season and that, that kind of pissed me off because I'm, I'm a baseball guy. So, uh, I wasn't too happy with, with that. And I'm also a Reds fan and, you know, we barely got in the playoffs and then it, it was shitty. So for me, uh, but yeah, I mean, to the local point that Alan was making, like, uh, you know, over the summer, there's a little disappointment here on my personal part, but you know, my daughter likes softball. She wanted to get in this girl's softball league and, uh, they canceled the whole thing. We had started it early in February, like signed her up. She was going to start in March. And then if all this stuff went down, but then uh, I hear all my guy friends who have sons, well, all summer long, they're playing their fucking baseball games. But for some reason, the girls can't get on the field. So that that pissed me off. I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm just telling you. <laughs> we were talking local stuff. That's just that was that was top of my mind. Like I was really pissed about that. I was like, oh, it's OK for the boys to go out and play their game during COVID, but they can't organize the girls' softball league. I don't know. They're just kind of shitty. But, I mean, overall, I think everyone's done a good job. How's that? Is that a good Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Patrick, I, I would throw in there, you talk about baseball a little bit. and I, I think the other thing we saw, regardless of how we felt about how they did things, was that, you know, the pitchers need spring training. You know, they need oh, yeah. reps. They... they, they they, they need those mound days, and, and when they didn't get them and they started dropping like flies, I mean, it just, uh, uh, it, it, it was a struggle. And, you know, the other thing I'll add, that's the other frustration with this, uh, with this, uh, local stuff is, you know, one of the reasons why, um, you know, getting my daughters to bed tonight was a struggle. They were exhausted all day. There's the only way we can get gym time. Um, is to is to have our practice from from nine to ten at night on a Wednesday night, and they had to be in the classroom today. 
So, uh, you know, this whole situation has really impacted because, you know, in a normal situation, you're on the travel team. You just practice at the high school or middle school at like six o'clock and everybody's happy. But now we're fighting for places like Sports Ohio and places like that to try to get gym time. And it's really tough. No, that makes sense. Uh, Brian, what do you think? No, and to you guys' point, in terms of, like, the local level stuff, uh, just uh, my son was thinking about trying out for the basketball team, uh, seventh grade, and um, so we kind of talked about, you know, kind of just different things that he wanted to do, and then um, he said his friend had uh, told him that I guess he had already made the basketball team, and, like, we completely missed it, and apparently there was an email that was sent basically saying that you had to sign up through the coach and there's only because they're only allowed a certain number of people in the gym at one time i think it was like only 20 kids in the gym uh per tryout so they had to like spread it out over uh like i guess a couple days um but that's just i don't want to say like that's the new normal but they it's it's just weird like cause when you know when we were all going up you go out for the basketball team there's no telling there's no number of kids at the gym like it's just everybody in the gym um in terms of fans, I do miss fans at, uh, at it. I do. I will agree with you guys. I do think that the NBA bubble was was fun to watch. One thing I did think about though is when Clemson beat or Clemson lost in uh, Notre Dame, and those fans rushed the field. Holy COVID, Batman. like you should. You what's that now? I said holy COVID, Batman. Yeah. So I was sitting there and I'm looking at it like that's what you should do when you beat the number one team in the country. But do you do that in these times and the <clears> ramifications <throat> of that? And like, I don't want to say it was the parent in me, but like, but is anybody thinking about how doctors spreading COVID amongst each other? And what if you, what if the quarterback, uh, Ian Book gets COVID because y'all are out here storming the field? Like there are repercussions potentially to this that are down the line. But yeah, in the moment it feels great and you might feel some sense of normal. But, and just well, I'll, I'll say, I'll say this, Brian. <clears throat> I'll say this, Brian. Where did they rush the field at? What state was that in again? Indiana? Was that Indiana? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. there you go. A bunch of dipshits live there. I mean, basically, oh. Indiana is a, is a southern state. It really is. It just happens to be right next to Chicago and in between, you know, Ohio. It, 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 I believe sorry, go ahead. The other thing. Flyover country. There it is. <laughs> The other thing I'll, I'll add to that, Brian, and, and I, we don't need to go down this rabbit hole because I, I think it's fairly well documented, but it, it was it was a statement to me of, uh, you know, the, the, the Bob Dylan song, the, the, time, the times they are changing, well, the times have changed because all four of us can remember a time where there was no win that would warrant Notre Dame fans Storming the field. That's the Not part one. I want to talk about right there. When yeah. you brought up Notre Dame, it's a more of a crime that they even stormed the field as Notre Dame than it is that COVID was going on. You don't do that if you're Notre Dame. You it, it, unless you realize that you're not Notre Dame anymore. Yes. Yes. Let's talk about that. Well, the Notre, the, the Notre Dame that we grew up with, that's a whole different – that's a whole that, different that name. gone. Yeah, that Notre Dame's gone. It's been gone 20 years. I mean, we haven't seen Notre Dame be Notre Dame. I think this version of Notre Dame with Brian Kelly in the last, you know, three, four, five years or whatever, 
I think they've hit their ceiling. I, I think Notre Dame now is about as good as it's ever going to be because, honestly, if yes. you're not recruiting at the same level as Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, if you're not recruiting on that level, you virtually have no chance unless they beat themselves. Like, everybody's playing for a fourth playoff spot and a nice bowl game on New Year's Day at this point. If you're not recruiting at yes. that level, you, you just don't have a chance. And I think Notre Dame hit their ceiling. Yeah, you know, you know, it, uh, you know, college football is a different game. Having a quarterback that can can complete downfield passes of more than twelve yards is a huge advantage in college football. And and Notre Dame has a quarterback that can do that. Um, once he graduates, they're gonna they're gonna go back to what we've seen. Um, the other eye opening thing of that game too was with as well as book played the type of season Notre Dame's having. You know, to your point, Dennis, about the talent level of Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson. I mean, Clemson loses the number one pick in the freaking NFL draft, plugs in a freshman, and he's coming out and he's throwing for 350 yards a night. You know, it's nuts. It's an embarrassment of riches. Yeah, it it really, really is. And I remember having this thought the year um, Michigan State won the Big Ten, made the playoff. And then they played Alabama in the semifinal and got destroyed. And I just remember thinking, here's Michigan State, a bunch of two and three star kids and maybe some four star kids that got coached up into three stars, four stars, five stars. And they're playing against a bunch of guys who were all four and five stars coming out of high school. Like the level of talent just wasn't equal. And so, again, if you're not recruiting on that level, like, it's just going to be really, really hard to compete um, with that. Although, it's interesting because that kid from Clemson only played because Trevor Lawrence got coached. (laughs) Right. And then then all those kids spread it there after the end during that game. Yeah. (laughs) That's the irony. Yeah, so it's really interesting to see, like, like the Raiders had that issue where almost ha- it seemed like half the team had it, and the NFL was just like, hey, tough luck. You guys didn't do what you are supposed to do. You're going to play with three offensive linemen. Good luck. Like, like the impact on all of this has been so, like, far and wide. Like, even from, like, an NBA perspective, they did not want to start until, like, MLK Day. But if they did, they were going to forfeit something like $700 million. So they had to agree to start three days before Christmas because who's going to walk away from three quarters of a billion dollars? Well, certainly not well, rich white guys. That's the, well, no, and I think that's the other thing about it, too, is that COVID – I mean, we all knew that, like, a lot of this is money-driven. But, like, COVID has really made it money-driven because you – like, you know, when the Big Ten canceled football, they did it thinking this is what's in the best interest of safety. But, you know, now you're talking – Nebraska was talking about a shortfall of, like, $80 million in the athletic department. So, yeah, hell yeah, they want to play. And then you just extrapolate that over, like, all these other universities and everything. I know you guys mentioned baseball as well, but there's all these other places. And you're just like, you know what? They're, the money's too great for people to, to turn it away. You know, safety be damned in some instances. But if it's too great to turn away, don't tell me that they're amateurs. Oh, yeah, that's a whole different discussion for a different day. That's all. Yeah, but I agree with you. We'll we'll table that because I I want to talk about that in depth in another another episode. But one of the other things that I think 
um, that COVID certainly had a had an impact on is um, of voting and social upheaval and everything. And one of the things I do kind of want to talk to you guys about and get your perspective on is what impact do you think athletes had on the election? specifically with athletes doing all these commercials and starting these campaigns and organizations about getting out the vote. Like, do you feel like athletes had an impact in motivating people to go out and vote this year in this year's election? Well, I think it did a little bit. I think, um, to, I will say to a degree, I'm, I'm usually skeptical of celebrity endorsements. Um, just in general, like, you know, if, you know, Kim Kardashian thinks it's a good idea for you to vote for Joe Biden, well, that's great, but like, Kim Kardashian shouldn't be deciding who you vote for. You should vote based on what is, you know, germane to you. Um, but I do think there is something to be said about people who have a, uh, who have a microphone or who have a platform, if you will. Um, and I think they might have influenced some younger people, but in terms of older people, I would be skeptical uh, in terms of who they, they might have influenced. But I do think that they probably did influence some, for sure. Yeah, I, Brian, I, I tend to agree. I, I think that uh, um, especially, you know, some and I I can't put myself in in the shoes and, and minds of everyone, but my assumption would be that in in some of these sports, um, you know, a lot of these players come from pretty modest means, and it probably does mean something to um, the normal population. You know, people who are growing up in these same neighborhoods. That, that some of these athletes came from, it probably means something that they put their voice behind those folks. Um, I mean, one would assume that their voices would have be, been behind them as well, but hey, maybe it was just that little extra to say, you know what, yeah, screw it, I'll wait in line for an hour and a half to do this instead of just going and doing something else. I just feel like while it's important to go vote and exercise your civic duty and let your voice be heard and all that, my gut just kept telling me that any athlete that was telling you to go vote was secretly telling you to vote Democrat. Like, it was subliminal in my mind. Yes. Like, I, I, don't, know how to, I don't know how to explain it, but it was just more of a gut feeling. Like, it was almost like coded language. Like, yes, you need to vote, but we all know who you need to vote for. Well, well and, and, and Dennis, part of that too just comes, comes from the social fabric, right? Because I mean, when and whether it's complete, you know, I'm not going to dive into a a, a a doctorate thesis on political science right now, but when you've got the headlines telling you that one party is putting active measures in place to give you more hoops to jump through before you can cast your vote. And then you've got a group of celebrities, more so in this athletes, encouraging you to vote. You know, you can read that landscape and understand who they're, who they're asking you to vote for. And you've probably already got an instinct of who you should vote for because the, you know, as, as 
you know, I've got my issues with, with all of our, our political parties, but it, it, it's clear that, that one is placing a premium on the idea of limiting the amount of votes that are cast and counted. And so, you know, those types of things make it pretty, uh, that, uh, along with the athlete message, I, I think it was a, a big push to vote Democrat. The downside of that, and, and I think this is what you're getting at, is, okay, getting rid of Trump and voting against, you know, some of these other things is fine. But what's the next step in terms of holding people accountable and really making sure that we're voting for people who are driving change in our best interest? And, and, and this wasn't that. This was more of a get out and vote, and to your point, vote Democrat. Um, that's the next level, and I'll be curious to see what the appetite is amongst the public figures to do that. Well, they don't want you to vote. I mean, they've, they've, they've said it. Well, you can go back and uh, what was that video that was circulating some dude at some uh, – I don't know, some gathering in, in the seventies or eighties at some political, I don't remember what it was, but the guy was basically like, we don't want everybody to vote. If everybody votes, then people are going to vote us out. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's totally part of their agenda to, to suppress that. And I think that a lot of people, uh, See, I'm, I'm on the fence about whether or not athletes had any impact on it. I think it probably worked both ways unintentionally. I think people, there's a, there's a lot of people out there that don't like athletes, particularly color, people of color that are out there talking about their president and all this shit. And I think it probably drove some of them to go vote. I think it worked both ways, unfortunately, but look, we're here. This is where we're at. I don't know if we got a Biden in yet. I guess we'll figure that out at some point. I will say, oh, sorry, go ahead, Pat. I was just going to say, I Googled it. The guy's name was Paul Weirich, and uh, he, he was the uh, the father of the conservative movement. You can Google that, listener. Oh, Google that, that guy. <laughs> Yeah. If we let everybody vote, there is absolutely no chance we can win. There is no conservative party if everybody votes. Most people aren't like that. It's just that the people that are, you know, like me, who are kind of like it's all bullshit. I only go out and vote because, you know, my wife makes me one now. But two, (laughs) (laughs) because uh, the guy the guy that was in was a fucking madman. So we had to do something about that anyway. Listen, I have enough beers into this podcast that I will derail this whole fucking thing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, no, the the, the only thing I was going to add to it was that, um, you know, certainly uh, at least when I was growing up and maybe you guys will say too, like a lot of uh, athletes, at least from what I can remember, weren't all that political. Um, And to your point, Alan, you know, certainly they a lot of times they'll come from a different background where. you know, things are not as easy, if you will. Um, but it seems as though as I've gotten older, a lot of athletes are more comfortable taking, a, um, you know, dipping a toe into that realm. And so I think that's what um, I think that's what a lot of them are, are doing now. Uh, you know, kind of the, uh, you know, see something, say something, if you will. So they're seeing things. Um, 
the only pushback that I think they might get is that, uh, you know, if somebody like a LeBron or somebody else is talking about the plight of people who are disadvantaged or whatnot, sometimes people will look at them um, and say, hey, what? Well, yes, you came from a betrayal experience in that now. And B, Pat, to your point, you know, that can also backfire. Because how many times did you hear, uh, you know, President Trump talking about uh, kneeling sons of bitches and LeBron? Oh, sons yeah. And, you know, whatever. Yeah. So, so, it, so it is kind of a double edged sword. You can use it to highlight the plights uh, or, or elevate the, uh, you know, the cause, if you will. But that also can cut another way, too. I was going to say, yeah, um, that was my point. I, you know, I think it, I think it certainly helps in certain communities, but you know, this idea that (laughs) it's, it's always going to go back to people that live in the sticks and people that live in the city. It's just as simple as that. It's rural versus urban. And I think in places where athletes spoke out in urban areas where maybe voters Hadn't turned out, and I think the NBA did a really good job of opening their facilities. I know a lot of the owners were big on that. And, yes, Dennis, there was a clear agenda. (laughs) I saw all those ads you saw, and I was like, yeah, they're basically saying, yes, get out and vote, but don't vote for crusty-ass Donald Trump. They didn't say that, but, yeah, that's what I got out of it. I mean, so, anyway. And as a side, I – Go ahead, Brian. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, as a side, I would just be curious to see with the NBA owners opening up those arenas. I'd be interested to see, or I don't even know if the NFL did something similar, but I'd be interested to see some data on how much did that help, or did it hurt? I mean, I don't. I just, I would just be curious to see from a numbers perspective. Yeah, you could have everybody voting at the Atlanta Hawks arena, but how many of those people did they go there because they didn't have a place to vote? You know, or they didn't want to stay in line four hours or like I would just be interested to see whether that, you know, helped or if it if it didn't help at all. Well, that's that's one I would of the too. dynamics that I think when we talk about the athlete impact and and this whole voting election is I found the dynamic of a bunch of millionaires asking some billionaires to open up the places that they work to allow people to vote that in a manner that would be against the interest of the owner because overwhelmingly the owners of these teams are, are Republican. And, 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 and in my estimation, not knowing any of these people at all, they're Republican because of the financial benefit that comes with Republican. They may be liberal on social issues, but if, if you're a billionaire and you're telling me that I can get my arena financed with public money and I'm use my own, I'm going to, that's attractive to me. So I found that dynamic of conservative owners opening up arenas to allow people to vote against their best interests. I, and, and we're getting athletes to promote coming to the arena. I found that dynamic interesting. Well, and, and Dennis, I think that that speaks to, uh, the, the the machinations behind the, the scenes where uh, you know you know similar to it, and I'm not poo pooing any of these movements when when I say this you you guys the three of you know what's in my heart our potential list may not they can make assumptions as they will um, the uh, let's not kid ourselves they they have found a way to monetize this as well. 
Oh, absolutely. So, 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 and I think that feeds into that, um, that willingness, you know, uh, I, I can't think off the top. I've never spent any time, any mind share on what the, what the Warriors owners got out of opening that arena. Now they also financed their arena privately, which doesn't happen a whole lot, but, um, I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about what they got out of doing that, but I think we know what Nike has gotten out of being behind this social movement. So, it didn't take long, did it, for him to go to Nike, did it, guys? Come on. No. <laughs> uh, we're, we're about 30 minutes, so I feel like he... Hey, Patrick, I can be... Patrick, I can be in your I can be in your driveway in ten minutes. I know. <laughs> I, it's it's I it's. I would have taken the under and lost, so that so that's that's. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, that's. But to your point, Alan. I, but to your point, you, you are correct. I think that I I, I do think that um, that people got into it for the right reason. But you know, there are probably some other people who um, saw it was like, hey, well, if I can make a buck, you know, in in on the road to, to getting this guy out of office, I guess, essentially, you know, then I think there are people who definitely took advantage of that for sure. Well, well and, and two, even, you know, even if it's not the, the cold, the completely cold hearted world that I think it is, I mean, you know, let, let's pick on the warriors for a minute. And I, I'm sorry if me pouring the beverage in the background makes noise, but that's just the reality that we live in. No, you um, should live your best life. Hashtag COVID. Hashtag 2020, man. The, um, you know, the, the Warriors just moved from Oakland to San Francisco. Um, there were probably not very many, or very many better public relations statements that, that they could have made than opening that arena up for people to vote. Yeah. Well, in that state, for sure. I mean, that's. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So, so, what else about the Warriors, Alan? Tell us about the war. No, don't don't tell us about the Warriors. No, I, I, I'll, 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 I'll say this could this could spin into this is spin into is the dynasty <laughs> over? But I don't know what Dennis's outline says. No, no, no. We're gonna yeah, I don't either. I, I, I see. I actually read the notes, Dennis. I re- I read the notes. Yeah, so, so you know, <laughs> so you know what's coming. Thank you. Thank you. Um, He was he was he was late, but he read the notes. (laughs) I love that. That's my guy. Go ahead. So sort of switching gears here, um, because of college football and its chaos in terms of who's playing, are you not playing, who's starting, who's not starting, um, because the whole thing's been turned upside down by COVID. Um, I, I feel like the one constant in the fall so far has been the NFL. So I, I'm curious. Give me some thoughts. What your what's your take? We're about halfway through the season. Sort of give me your takeaways um, from what you've seen so far, uh, either good or bad, surprises, good or bad. Like what sort of your take? What, what stands out to you from this year's NFL season? Because I will tell you right now. Um, I, as a Giants fan, knew my team was not going to be good 
and it was brutal in the beginning, but I'll be damned if the Fighting Joe judges aren't out here scrapping and clawing away um, to respectability. And the fact that he fired his O-line coach <laughs> this week um, because he wasn't about the team. Like, at this point, this team, like, like I'm cool with what's going on with New York, even though we're going to have a top ten pick and be bad this year. But, um, but I'm curious, what's your takeaway? Brian, I want you to go last because uh, you're, you're, you're in the best position, so I want you to go last. Yeah. Just tell me what yeah, you Yeah, he's, he's got to go last. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll go first because I, I'm already – I'll probably take my pee break when Brian starts talking about the freaking undefeated Steelers. But um, <laughs> what, what I've so, – so I'll keep with the, with the, the fan slant that, that you set us off with, Dennis. The Bills are 7-3, and three, and that includes a 2-1 and one record against what is likely the best conference in football, the NFC West. And that one loss took a miraculous play from, and this is my primary takeaway so far in this season, a miraculous play from DeAndre Hopkins, who looks like is making a leap right in front of our faces, like top four receiver of all time. Um, based on what we've seen him do and the fact that now he goes to a different team, I mean, he's still got a decent, he's got a good quarterback. I'm not saying he doesn't. But the plays that that guy can make, I mean, I mean a lot of, re- of receiving numbers are very inflated in this era. But watching DeAndre Hopkins just for a few games here and there, it's clear that he is a, a top-tier player of all time at that position, in, in my opinion. That's been my biggest takeaway of the season um, is, is his elevation – um, the pleasant surprise uh, of the Bills and, and Josh Allen being a, a decent quarterback with a pretty good deep ball. And, um, and you know, that Steelers record is daunting, but God bless America, it's hard not to think of the Chiefs as the class of the league still. DeAndre Hopkins reminds me, uh, it, to me, he's like he's automatic. If I throw it in his direction, he's gonna catch it. That's the 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 sort of um, be all end all. I do think you something on Josh because Buffalo has been trying to replace Jim Kelly since like 1998 or whatever. Tell me about it. And yeah, <laughs> actually, and I was you know skeptical about him, but he has shown in now this third year to have taken a leap. Um, he can run. He can throw. They gave him a reliable receiver, a true number one. Um, and with New England taking a step back, them in Miami, and I thought about this today, it really reminds me, now that two is playing well, reminds me of all of those late 80s, early 90s battles where it was Marino and Jim Kelly. And it was like, yeah. you. it was must-see TV, 1 o'clock on NBC. I'm showing my age here. But – when those guys got together, like, th- like that was must-see TV, those two guys going at it. And I think Miami and Buffalo are really on the on the verge of that. But, Pat, what do you think? What's your takeaway so far? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I guess uh, the Jets were shitty in the 80s and 90s, and they still are shitty. Uh, the Patriots are floundering. 
Yeah, the Patriots are floundering. Uh, uh, you know, I, I'm a guy that doesn't have a real NFL team. My fantasy football team is what drives my interest in the league. Uh, I like watching players, much like the NBA fans. Uh, they like watching guys and teams. I'm in the same boat. I kind of like watching the Chiefs. I kind of like watching – if I could find the Bills, I'd watch them. But, you know, they don't put that on here. We get to sit through uh, Baker Mayfield looking like a shithead. Uh, you know, he's not very good at quarterback. Luckily, they're able to run the ball a little. Uh, and then uh, you mentioned your Giants. I mean, I just had to look up the record because I just couldn't fucking believe it. The Eagles are leading the division right now with three wins, Do not get me started. five losses, and and one they have one draw or a tie. They have a tie. But do you know who the so they're three, five, and one. Do you know I don't. I'd have to look it up. The tie was against a winless Cincinnati Bengals. They were at home and had a chance to win the game, and the, and the Eagles played the tie. Keep in mind, Cincinnati's got a rookie quarterback, and they played for the tie. <laughs> I tell you what, that the you know for the good bulk of my. You know, younger life, the NFC East was so fucking good. You know, the Eagles, Giants, Redskins, now Washington football team, whatever we're calling them, and Cowboys. That that was the best division every year, the best, you know, of, of the NFC. It's just kind of sad, I think, is, is, is what I guess I'm, my overall feeling for that division, considering all the great players that used to play in that, on those teams in the back of the day. But, well, I guess my, I'll add to that though. I'll add to that. It is sad, but you know, and, and this is the the uh, <coughs> you know the the jackass in me. It's also a little inexcusable. Um, if you can't put together talent in those markets, what are you doing? Well, and Washington's been bad for years, and they got an asshole for an owner. In a salary cap league, that that's there's there's other variables here, but if it's just off market, yeah, I would agree. I will tell you, as a um, fan of one of the teams in this sport, I can tell you unequivocally that you don't ever have to worry about Washington as long as their owner is their owner. You do not have to worry about them. Right. Never amount to anything, and I will tell you. They missed a wonderful opportunity. Instead of calling themselves the Washington football team, which is a terrible name, they just should have called themselves the Washington football club, and their name could have been Washington FC. And that that they, yeah. just, should have, they just should have done that like every soccer team and every football team in Europe. Like that's what they should have done. But that tells you the level of incompetence that this team operates under. So you don't ever have to worry about them. And so with that, since we're talking about all these negative things, we should probably talk about something positive. So with that, Brian Tubbs, the floor is yours. Oh, man. Whew. Man, that was a that was a long wait for me. Um, so, <clears throat> but to hit on a couple of points, one, Alan, I do think that I would agree with you that we're watching somebody in terms of Hopkins who is going to be. I don't know if he'll be the greatest, but certainly he he will be in that conversation. Um, 
Also, too, I saw a, a tweet that Adam Schefter made that he on Sunday he said, "How ironic is it the um, that play or that game, uh, the Cardinals and the Bills came down to two guys who got traded in the offseason to those particular teams." Yeah. So, like, just it, 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 you could be rewarded for you know being you know whatever uh, to be being aggressive. Um. Uh. Yes, I would say certainly my Steelers nine and zero. Um. I know Colin Cowherd beats them up a lot because they don't play because you know they're they lose historically they lose games that they shouldn't. Um. But they don't make the schedule. The league makes it. You beat who's in front of you and you just move on to the next game. So uh, I am anticipating a loss here within the next couple of weeks. It seems as though they're playing at Jacksonville, so this seems like a game they should win, so this is probably the game they will lose. But as long as Roethlisberger standing up top or standing you know, upright and he's not injured, they got a shot. Um, Kansas City is the only one that really concerns me because I feel like people are slowly figuring out Baltimore. Um, yes. And New England is New England, although I've – with a Belichick team, I wouldn't count them out. Um, two is a great. You, two is great you can box, count them out. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna mark that box. You're gonna check. check yeah, that box. go ahead. Go ahead and put that one down. This is a lost year for them. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, Dennis, I will say the Fighting Joe judges uh, have. have uh, there's you can be bad, but as long as you're trying, as long as you show that you're getting better, like I think there's something to that. I when I lived in Arizona. They had uh, the Cardinals had Steve Wilkes for a year, and so like they started off halfway decent, and then as the season went on, they kind of just started declining, and then it became obvious like not only does he have to go, Rosen has to go, and then that's how you get the, the Kingsbury, you know, Murray era. But um, but yeah, I, I will take my nine and no Steelers. We'll just keep going and we'll just keep plowing through. Yeah, I and just Kyler like- Murray can play too, can he? Whew. Yes, he's my fantasy football starting quarterback. So God. I love me so. And and to, to that point, he's my starting quarterback, and I have uh, him thrown into Hopkins. So they're both on my team. <laughs> he is the definition so. of quick and fast. Like nobody but he's, he's lightning in a bottle. Um, yeah, this season's been pretty interesting. I will say, for as good as the Steelers are, um, and all kudos to them for being undefeated. Um, honest to God, it's the Chiefs' title to lose. I just feel like at the end of the day, if you get if if like Buffalo tried to put them in a phone booth on a Thursday night and they won, you know, if you yeah. want to get into a tra- like Carolina really took went toe to toe with them two weeks ago and they just couldn't hang with them. Like I just feel like at the end of the day. You just don't have the horses to stay with them, and all they need is their defense to be like somewhere between 16 and 20 in the league. Their defense is just decent. You can't – I just don't see what you're supposed to do because if you blitz them, you can't afford to leave those guys one-on-one. And if you don't blitz them and play zone, dude's going to pick you apart. Like, I just don't know what the answer is um, for that. And and I'm not here to say that he's going to be the best receiver or the best quarterback of all time. Um, but when it's all said and done, he may put all of the records on reach to the point where it doesn't really matter. It's not even really a conversation. Yeah, you know, De- Dennis, we we uh, I won't prolong this. I know you probably want to move on, but you we, you you were talking earlier about the Jim Kelly Bills. 
And the, the Chiefs remind me of them a lot. Where, you know, it was pretty clear with the way the, the, the Bills defense attacked the ball that, that they basically had the, the mindset of all we got to do is get one stop or one turnover and, and you can't beat us. Um, and now there was a recipe for that with the OJ Anderson Giants back then. Yeah. But that recipe does, you know, that recipe doesn't exist in today's NFL. No, nobody's running um, the ball like 60 times. Right. Um, so, but the, yeah, the, the Chiefs rem- remind me so much of, of that old team where they're just like, we're going to keep coming and eventually we're going to get that turnover and then we're going to be up two scores. Yeah. And then the damn break. I would also like to add, I would also like to add that, you know, we just talked about Kyler Murray and, and you're talking about Kansas City. It's got Patrick Mahomes. But, you know, those two dudes could have played baseball. Yeah. You know, Pat Mahomes' dad was a – was like he pitched in the league for like, I don't know, 10 or 15 years, somewhere yeah, in there. He pitched for both the Twins and the Mets, Brian Dubs. <laughs> Woo. Yes, well, you know, and, then, and we can get <clears> – <throat> Yeah, we could talk about the Twins, how they haven't won a playoff game in like 20 years. But. <laughs> but I'm saying that accuracy, being able to throw a little tiny ball, I think it helps these guys somehow. I don't know. I, I don't know what I'm saying here. I told you. I, I, I agree. Like Russell, uh, Russell Wilson was a baseball player, and, and I think it just goes to show. Oh, yeah, he was. Yeah, he absolutely was. Yep. Like, I just think it goes to show, like, if your kid is super athletic, let him play everything because all of those skills are going to translate into whatever the one sport that they, they settle on. But um, let me ask you guys this, because yesterday um, was the NBA draft, and the draft universally was kind of looked at as this is a down draft. Um, I don't know. History will tell. I will tell you the worst draft that I've ever seen, if you go back and look at it, is the draft where Kenyon Martin went number one. And it's not that Kenyon Martin was a yes. bad player. Kenyon Martin is it was a very good player for a long time. In fact, he's like the he's like my favorite one of my favorite dunkers just because of the way he attacked the rim. But, you know, that draft had a lot of uh, like Marcus Pfizer. It had a lot of bust in it. Um, I'm trying to think what was the one guy's name from. Um, from Iowa State that I can't remember. He was a tall dude. Oh, Cato. You guys remember Cato? Oh, Calvin Cato. Yeah, Calvin Cato. Yeah. yeah, like like just bus everywhere. Um, I, I'm curious what you guys thought about the draft, especially against the backdrop of the news breaking that Clay Thompson blew his Achilles out like an hour before the draft. Because for me, once that happened, it was kind of like I don't know that I even really want to watch this. I was just Sick for Clay. I'm not a Golden State fan. I'm just a fan of good basketball. And knowing that he missed all year, this was setting up where the Lakers won, but Phoenix had made moves, and Denver had clearly gotten better, and Dallas had clearly gotten better, and Houston had taken a step back, and Oklahoma City wasn't going to the playoffs. I thought it was wide open for Golden State um, to really make a run, especially with Wiseman playing the five, and they're just asking him to rim run and block shots, and then Clay gets hurt. So tell me your impressions of of the draft and kind of what you think uh, where the teams go from here. Alan, do you want to get another drink and a box of tissues uh, to try your tears for the Clay Thompson? 
I'm not gonna lie. I I thought Ayla was going to cry. And for potential listeners, that's my 10-year-old daughter. I thought she was going to cry when I told her the Clay news. Um, she had just we, – we were watching the draft um, uh, before we went to uh, basketball practice, and they a lot of the language was going on around a, 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 a week of Christmas start. It's like, oh, I can't wait to watch the Warriors and Stephen Clay and – do you think we'll be able to, or do you think they'll actually play games where a few people can go and all this stuff? Um, yeah, so, so it, it's not great. Um, it's a bummer for me. He's, he's, you know, I, I've obviously, you know, the Warriors and the Knicks, uh, I, I've wanted the Warriors Knicks finals my entire life. Um, and, uh. That's very specific. Yeah, by yes. The way. Yeah, they're my two favorite franchises. In my humble opinion, the two most uh, passionate, educated um, basketball franchises, um, Indiana's in the conversation. Uh, But, um, you you know, so I'll I'll try to transition to the draft here since I already started talking because it it sucks that Clay's hurt. Even the most vicious of Warriors haters, 90% of whom live in the state that we reside in, um, most of them still like Clay, um, and, and, and you know a lot of people like him because of his personality, which is great. But he's also a great two-way guy. He's kind of like Joe Dumars on steroids, right? Where I mean, he can really defend, does so many great things, um, and just just kind of an, an interesting cat. I liked the Wiseman pick. I like the rumored. Uh, I haven't been on Twitter recently. It was most recently still rumored the Kelly Oubre. Uh, trade to get under that, that fits into the uh, that um, trade exception from Andre Godala. I, I think Ubre is at least a start. You know, uh, I think they're going to try to do that anyways, even before Ubre Ubre can play, man, and I think he'll. Yeah. I think if that happens, oh, yeah, that'll be sure. a nice pickup for him. For I was honestly, I was shocked that they let him go because, like I said, living out living out there. They love the Suns love Uber. Like they were like really amped when they got him. And the fact that they let him go, I was like, I, I was just shocked that they let him go. That guy's nineteen yeah. points a game. So to me, like Yeah, nineteen is nineteen and almost seven rebounds too. So I mean he's not like he's seriously he's not a, he's developed because he was not that when he first came into the league. And so and is he six five or six six too? He's he's not like a true big guy, like big forward. He 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 plays yeah, you know, to me, I think they'll be okay, but I don't think that's the move that's going to allow them to push the Lakers. Because no. if they made that move and Clay was healthy, and I'm bringing Ubre off the bench, all of a sudden this is a very different conversation. Yes, you know what I mean. This it's just a very well, different it, conversation. And Ubre looks pretty silly now in those hype videos, Dave in their city jerseys now. For yeah, sure. I heard. <laughs> he, he was one that uh, was rapping with the boys from the valley, and they took it and like put it on the court and made these jerseys, and now he's gone. Yeah, he's walking a horse in Gilbert. Like, hey man, like, like I don't know. I just feel bad for him. But anyway, I digress. But but uh, but so so I'll wrap up some draft thoughts. I I, I do like the Wiseman pick for the Warriors. Um, you, you know, uh, in past conversations, you guys have heard me talk about, you know, with DeAndre Ayton and a couple of these other guys. Uh, I, I think these big athletic guys 
uh, are going to start punishing these teams that that really bought all in on small. And um, so, so I, I like the Wiseman pick. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about Patrick Williams in Chicago from Florida State, but I a, a guy a great Twitter follow is Rashad Phillips. He played at Detroit Mercy, and uh, he really knows the game. And uh, he, he had a tweet today that that made me think about, hey, it, it's time we put some respect on on Florida State and Leonard, Leonard Hamilton's name and, and the types, you know, the consistent winning. And he's consistently putting NBA players into the league, so that, that that's worth a mention. Brian, you, you know, for you and I, I love the Obi Toppin pick by the Knicks. I, he said he's not a big ceiling guy, but he is NBA ready right now, and um, I think that's. A oh, he gets he he gets scored in this league for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah. You know, regardless of how I feel about. Kyrie Irving and his mental state. Um, one of my favorite players all year was that Sadiq Bey from Villanova. Um, I think they may have traded that pick to the Pistons, so I, I, I haven't figured that there out. There were yet. so many trades last night. I could yeah. not, like, I don't know who's going who, where. I just Googled it. Uh, yes, Sadiq Bey did get traded to Detroit. Okay. So the Nets did pick him at 19. Oh, that's, guys, you know, uh, I've often said I'm much too old to still have hate for sports teams, but the Pistons are up there. Um, and then I, I loved the uh, well, well, you know, the whole malice at the palace thing. It was just like, yeah. oh, 16th anniversary of that. Yeah, but um, yeah, yeah, well, I, yeah. I, I love the RJ Hampton pick for for the Bucks. Um, you know, the, those guys who play overseas against grown men for a year or two. That makes that makes a difference. So those is those are is two of my thoughts. Is Hampton Australian, or did he just play in Australia? Is that what it was? Which one yeah, was? Yeah, he he just played there. Okay, so he's not Ben Simmons, where he's an Australian no, dude no, playing. He, okay, he skipped a year in college and decided to go play overseas rather than. Go I can't say I blame him for that. I mean, I don't even watch college basketball anymore. I don't know who half these fuckers are. I know Obi Toppin. Because I have to. I live in Ohio. Pat, I'm kind of like you. I'm watching this, and um, I, I I don't know, really know who these guys are, and I felt a certain type of way because I used to know every guy in the draft, and now I don't know anybody in the draft. It felt like I know Obi. Well, and and I, I, I agree with you, Alan, that I think you're going to have to start looking at Florida State a little differently because if I think back, Florida State makes the tournament – they seem to be a sweet 16 team every year with guys you don't know. Leonard Hamilton coached in the league, so he knows what NBA players yeah. look like. And he gets them to come to Tallahassee, and they sort of fly under the radar. Yeah, they don't beat Duke, and yeah, they don't beat Carolina, but you look up, they got 26 wins, and they make the sweet 16, which I think in college, major college basketball, that's really what you want is a team that's going to make yeah, the That's season. a successful season. That's a, Yeah, that, because at that point, that gives me enough cracks at it to be able to make run so um, I, I, the other thing that, that kind of stood out to me in a sense of irony was the LaMelo Ball goes to Charlotte and so now his loud mouth dad, we'll see how loud he is, or at least his dad's not loud now he used to be but he's not anymore but we'll see how loud he is I'm putting money down right now to watch that on pay-per-view right now how, what, is it, what does it cost to get that on pay-per-view 50 bucks, I'm down to watch Jordan play what are we talking about? To watch 
Yeah, it should, yeah, I'll put my money down right now to watch Jordan oh. at almost 60 years old dust Lamar Ball. Oh, he'll dust his ass. <laughs> well, even, I, I would be remiss if, based on some earlier comments, if I didn't point out that Kenyon Martin Jr. was drafted by Steve Yes. Yes, he was. Oh, my God. Yeah, he, he was, was wasn't he? Second, second Don't. Don't say stuff like that, Alan. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll just say this. I don't know half these dudes in the draft. Um, the only guys that I know for sure that are probably going to be good is that dude from Georgia because he can score. And I think that will translate. What's his name? Edwards? Yeah, is but that- you got to watch him. He said he doesn't really like basketball. Like basketball is cool, but like he likes football better. Yeah. Well, uh, listen. They start signing his checks. They're gonna, he's gonna get. Yeah. The the Timberwolves are gonna pay. Yeah, the Timberwolves are paying him money. He'll be all right. He'll be fine. But I, I think, uh, listen, that the NBA and Alan and I have had this conversation for years. Who knows who the fuck is good based on what they did in college? Like, you won't know. We won't know who's really good or not, especially lately, because these guys don't hang around for a couple of years, so you can get an idea of what they got. Well, I think so. Well, yeah, you don't know who these dudes are. What I always like to say is, what, 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 the thing that doesn't help is, is, is the current prevailing style of play and the way the college game is officiated. And, and, and that's what leads me to, you guys have heard me say before, that nothing will skew the view of a, of an NBA prospect's talent than watching them play modern college basketball. Because, <laughs> I mean, you've got teams playing zone, you've got guys body checking everywhere, reaching in, hacking, you know, you've got coaches that are still trying to run, like, like, like the, the, the type of, you know, three around two motion offense running through a post. That they were running in 1970. Well, shit. Dennis named this goddamn podcast after the Carolina Tar Heels, didn't he? In that the Four Corners, wasn't that wasn't that uh was that Dean Smith? <laughs> I was thinking that too. Like when he named that, I was like, what? Why do I know that? And it just hit me. I was like, and that's Dean Smith, motherfucker. How dare you do that? What are you doing? Um. I'm just looking at the list because I had to. I had to Google it. Uh, did you see that Dick Cheney got a, a draft pick in this draft? There's a dude that. The, the, listen, the Kings took Tyrese Halliburton. <laughs> Dick Cheney's company. Come on, guys. Dick Cheney runs Halliburton. Now he's got a fucking player in the league. Pat, yeah. I want you to look yeah. at two things. I need you to look up Tyrese Halliburton's suit from last night. Uh, oh, all right. Google it. Looking at it now. It is Willie Cauley Stein level floral pattern. <laughs> like, like, you know that meme where like he was sitting there and they put the flower thing behind him. Imagine that as an entire suit. Like, there's that. Oh, wait a minute, guys. Hold on. Wait a minute. You know, I I just I look at the picture. And immediately my mind goes to boomerang. Hey, I'll Gerard. Yes. Gerard, you know your you know your dad's got a mushroom belt. <laughs> that is that. 
Listen, look at that shit. I have, I have that same thought too. I have that same thought too. <laughs> Gerard, Gerard you, your dad's got a mushroom belt. He's like, <laughs> oh damn, that's something else right there, man. That's a- the second thing I want you to look up is I want you to look up. Zeke Najee, N-N-A-G-I, look up Zeke Najee's mom and, and, and see what she oh, did man. last night. Listen, I saw it and I texted Brian. I texted Brian and I said, what in the Rachel Dolezal is going on with this woman? And it well, was, it, it, oh, wait a minute. While, while he's looking that up, I'll, I'll throw out there that I, I saw some, some Sacramento folks today, too. Calling the, <laughs> the, okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Alan. <laughs> They're calling the the the, the De'Aaron Fox uh, Halliburton backcourt. They're, they're calling it the Iraq War backcourt. <laughs> <laughs> the Iraq. <laughs> that's, a, that's a reach I was not ready for. <laughs> Well, you didn't expect somebody to come up with Halliburton on this podcast, Dennis? Come on, man. Look who you invited here. I did not see that. That didn't come to your mind? Hey, by the way, uh, Zeke's mom has got, if if anybody's going to listen to this, go Google this shit. She's got something else I've never seen. It almost matches the painting behind her. If you look at this picture... You look at this picture, there's an eagle flying. It's got all the same colors in her dress. Like, that shit is on purpose. You, you know what? You know, I, and, I, and I said Dennis a pick. I, I, I said Dennis a pick. The first thing I thought, as soon as he saw that to me, I was like, oh, my gosh, that's, that's I'm going to get you something. You know, with the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> does, she have a, does she have a fake leg and butt? No, 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 the militant where, dude. Where they go the, into like the Black Liberation Office and they offer some bean pies and bean juice. Bean pies and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that scene. Like, God, we could talk about that movie. Yeah. That's a whole other podcast. That's a whole other thing. Oh, you're not kidding. Oh, that's a classic. <laughs> just, just, the, just the Chris Rock scene is a whole podcast. Oh, I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it. I spit my drink out like what in the Rachel Dolezal is going on around. Yeah, well, that's a great call out because it does look like she might teach uh, Afrocentric studies at Arizona State or some shit. Like where the fuck ever she's at. I mean, look, and again, if you see the picture behind her, it's a, it's an eagle flying or a hawk or some shit, and it looks just like the same patterns in the dress, like almost like I'm gonna coordinate with the whole room. Again, coordinate. Coordinate. <laughs> he said, Gerard, I can watch that right now. That's so good. Um, so I think it's on Netflix. Yeah. Two how you, how how dare you guys make me look that up? <laughs> <laughs> you oh, do you not hold back your laughter when you do. <laughs> I, I had to I had to mute my phone because I couldn't even believe it. I couldn't even believe it. I'm like I get I get this I get wait she's supporting listen let's not be crass she's supporting yes. her son somehow. Yeah, I think it's like her stepson. I think it's like a, uh, right. like a second marriage or something like that. Yeah, I mean, but Trump, for sure. Absolutely. No, 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 no. 
listen, I want to be clear. I don't, I, in moments like this, this is where Twitter is irre, is irreplaceable. It's undefeated. People were comparing her on Twitter to Russell Wilson's first wife when he got drafted. Oh, shit. The one he divorced when he was like, I got some money now. <laughs> right, the one he divorced. Um, so there's two more things I want to cover before we get out of here. Um, there's something that jumped out to me last weekend. And... Um, there's something that jumped out to me last weekend and with college football on Saturday and all the big games going on. Um, I am just absolutely floored at the collapse of Penn State and Michigan. I'm just I'm just absolutely floored, specifically Penn State, because I feel like Michigan has slowly been taking a step backwards ever since Ohio State beat them in overtime on the controversial fourth and one that they didn't get. I feel like Michigan is consistently taking a step back and Ohio State is taking a step forward. But Penn State being 0-4, I just, I, I'm just confused by that. Like, I, I just, I don't know what to say. Well, and to your point, Dennis, you know, it's like, it, I, I mean, I, I get the, the, the rivalry conversations dominate college sports, and, and that's fine, rightfully so. Um, but it's one thing to not be able to beat the football factory that dominates your conference. You, you know, um you know, when like you were talking about earlier, when they've got all four or five stars and you don't, you're gonna get beat. You, you know, uh, you know, Ohio State puts 20 guys into the league every season. Michigan probably puts five, and Penn State probably puts eight. Um, but the, what starts to be jarring is when they're losing to other people. Um, you know. I mean, Michigan got their freaking asses handed to them by Wisconsin, and and that's the type of team that usually. Because so so here's my 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 kind of my brief take on the Big Ten, and you guys know how I feel about the Big Ten football conference. Um, A lot of the schools will put NFL players into the league in the trenches. You know, um, Iowa will give you some offensive defensive linemen, Wisconsin, Michigan State, Michigan, uh, Penn State, you know, whomever. Um, the big separation comes in the playmakers. Because uh, Ohio State's <clears throat> better offensive and defensive linemen, too. And they've got NFL players at wide receiver. And... It, Running back to a degree, but I, I feel like wide receiver is usually the, the bigger difference maker when you're watching the games. And uh, so, so those things are going to happen. I think what, what jumps out at me is when you watch Michigan and you don't see guys who can separate. Like, like you don't see a player where they can get the ball in space and separate that into a big play. Um, and, and even Penn State, you, you know, they've, they've had as close to success against Ohio State as anybody has. Um, took a couple miraculous plays here and there that were probably influenced by those crowds that aren't there currently. 
Um, but, uh, you know, they, they, they don't put a ton. You know, they've had a couple that, 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 uh, you know, Alan, what's his name, that receiver, I think they put in the league. Alan um, Robinson, I think. Yeah, Robinson. Yeah. They, they, they don't put it, the, the, the conference in general doesn't put a ton of skill position guys into the league outside of Ohio State. So, so, so they're always going to get beat by them. So that's fine. But when they start getting beat by these other teams is a concern. And, and I, what makes me curious, I, I think James Franklin has some, some space to play with. Um, I think that Cincinnati's success this season creates an interesting dynamic with if Luke Fickle would be, you know, tempted by a Michigan uh, or Penn State job in Marshall, Michigan. But um, but but I I think that what the the thing that makes it interesting is I always call out Tennessee as my example. You know, Tennessee got tired of Phil Fulmer and his nine and three, eight and four seasons, and they fired him, and now they're getting their asses kicked every week. That's a great parallel in Michigan. And and I think that there is a lot of fear in some of these schools that they rely on donor money. But they're not spending forty million dollars a year on their football program necessarily, like like Clemson is or Ohio State or Alabama. That they're not getting the traction on national um, recruits. I think it, they're in a tough spot where they're like, well, who are we really gonna get? You know, are are we gonna just be five and five every year? And um, but, 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 so all of that aside, it is a talent thing. I mean, like, like I said, I mean, I, you know, I married into a Michigan family and so I watched them a lot. And, you know, I, I remember seeing Michigan people tweeting about Devin Funches. And I remember like getting into arguments with, with, uh, some Michigan fans about you really think Devin Funches is a is a difference maker? Oh yeah, he's going to be this in the NFL. I'm like, no, if he was that good, they would get him the ball twelve times a game, <laughs> and they're not. So he's not that good. Um, so 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 the, the talent has been on decline for a while up there. I, I don't know if people finally just like you know why the hell would we live up here? You know these players just you know play in warmer areas or what? But but it, it, it's jarring. And, and the Penn State one, Dennis, I agree with you, is more jarring to me because it felt like they were still kind of riding out that storm. That they got Franklin, and yeah, you know, if I were a recruit and Clemson wanted me and, and uh, you, know, UCLA, you know, Southern Cal wanted me and Penn State wanted me, I would go to one of the warm weather places first. But it seemed like Penn State was writing that out and was going to still be good, but um, definitely a, a struggle there. So it, it, it's weird, and it's weird seeing them getting beat by the teams they're getting beat by. by I knew much. Penn State was in trouble when Maryland blew them out at home. That that's, yes. that's when I knew they were in trouble because Maryland shouldn't be able to show up and beat and beat you up like that. Then like I'm sorry, well, especially. That, that shouldn't happen. 
Yeah, and, and I mean, I, w- I will say, you know, much, much like my, my comments earlier, um, you, you know, there's there's no greater advantage in college football than a than a playmaking quarterback, and especially a quarterback that can complete some passes downfield. You know, uh, I, I won't insult him by butchering his name, but you know, to to his brother, um, he's a playmaker, and, and I think that that Penn State has had enough of a fall off in other spots that that Maryland just having that playmaker at the quarterback spot was enough for for Penn State to get run off that field. But that was jarring. I, I, I don't think anybody expected that. I saw something the other day. Well, Dennis, You have to be able to college football, if you want to win, you need a quarterback and you got to be able to score 40 points a game. That's the game now. If you don't have a quarterback, if you can't score 40 points a game, you have no shot. So Penn State doesn't have that. So I, I think, and neither does Michigan for that matter. Um, and I think that's just where we're at. Yeah, yeah, well, for sure. I, uh, it, 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 go ahead, Matt. Well, I was just going to say this was the one segment that I actually brushed up on. Uh, I took a look at Penn State, and uh, I'm not—I'm not so sure that what you're seeing in Penn State just isn't kind of what happens up there in Penn State or that over there. I guess where am I? Uh, I mean, look, I, I looked—I looked at their record. I had this saved. Uh, you know, Joe Pa, l- listen to these records. This is starting in 2000. Okay. So 99, they were 10 and 3. 2005 and 7. Next year, 5 and 6. 9 and 4. 3 and 9. 4 and 7. That takes us up to 2005 when they were 11 and 1. And then obviously the Paterno had a couple of good years there. 11 and 2s, 11 and 2s. And then the whole, you know, nonsense with the stuff that went down there. And then you got Franklin coming in his first couple of years. He was seven and six. So to me, I just see a pattern and I look at it like, well, maybe this is just a down year and down years are possible at a place like Penn state because it's in their history, right? They don't, this isn't a, a 10 or 11 win team every year. This is a team that has peaks and valleys Whereas you don't see that with Alabama over the last and Happy Valleys, yes, Alan, thank you. But my but my point is like I guess what I'm saying is I'm not that worried. If I'm James Franklin, I'm like, listen, it's a bad year. He'll probably keep his job. COVID sucks. Uh, I'm sure he'll somehow. I don't know how many games they're playing. Are they playing eight games? If he could somehow finish at 500, I don't know what the college football looks like, but. I wouldn't be too worried about them. Michigan's another story altogether. I think, you know, Alan touched on it, but, you know, Michigan's just, uh, they don't spend enough. So Harbaugh, period. And Ohio State. Harbaugh's got one year left on his deal after this year. So, so does it make sense? I heard they're not extending it. They're not, I heard they're not going to extend it. So that they do, then you've killed your recruiting. Yeah. And I guess yeah, if you're not going to extend it, and Brian, guy. this is the conversation we have all the time. If you're going to get rid of Harbaugh, who are you going to get? That's better. That's better than him. Because honestly, like, you know, the article I read the other day was I. It, they're saying Michigan absolutely has to call Lou Fickle and make him say no. I have a hard time seeing Lou Fickle go to Michigan. 
I, I just can't see it. Um, well, there are a couple things that I read too that said that there's only his, and I could be wrong, because you know, a source close to, like, you know, you can think of it with a grain of salt. But supposedly the only three jobs that he is interested in to leave Cincinnati is Ohio State, Notre Dame, and Penn State. So if you're not one of those three, now maybe you could talk him into Pitt if Pitt fires their coach. But, I mean, he's sitting undefeated right now and potentially could get a, you know, near six point, right? Um, yeah, is Pitt a better job than Cincinnati right now? I mean, he's already. Oh, no. Uh, no, they, he's established himself there, so. Yeah, so what, but, but to your point about Michigan and recruiting, um, I had, uh, during this past signing period, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I wish I did. Um, but it was something ridiculous to the point where if you take all the five star recruits that signed within the Big Ten and added them all up, that is like equal to the amount of five star players that Ohio State has on its roster. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean that that, that that's where we're at. Good night, folks. <laughs> yeah. So so listen, this is the classic Larry Bird three point contest. You you all of you are playing for second place here, right? So it's a recruiting thing. Harbaugh, when you're not good at your specialty, like he's good at quarterbacks, right? Like that's his calling card, right? Like that's what he does. He's good at offense. And when your offense isn't good, like that's a problem. I mean, that's a, that's a real problem. And then when you get, when you face a team like Ohio State that's got all these horses, you know, these past couple Ohio State Michigan games, like it's not even close. Like it's just not even close. So, you know, if you can't recruit and you're, and you're not good at the thing that you're supposed to be good at, like that's a recipe for disaster. In terms of Penn State, I kind of want to give them a mulligan because every there are a lot of teams that are not doing well this year. And part of that may be COVID, I guess, but um, I feel like there's more – I would be more optimistic about Penn State. I kind of agree with you, Pat. Maybe this is kind of just a cycle. This is kind of a one-off year. But typically, outside of when Franklin first started, like that guy's given you 9-3, 10-2 over the year. One of those losses being for Ohio State, right? So – the question you have to ask yourself is, is 10 and 2 good enough? And because, you know, as, as Ohio State fans living here, you had the John Cooper era where it was like 8, 7 and 5, 8 and 4, maybe a 9 and 3. They get rid of him. Mostly 9 and 3. Yeah. So, so then 9 and 3, three was Earl Bruce. <laughs> 9 and 3 was Earl Bruce. Yeah. John Cooper had plenty of years where his only loss was like Wisconsin. One year, in Michigan. Michigan State, one year in Michigan. Yeah, his, John Cooper's last, uh, I'm looking at it right now, his last few years, uh, he was 11 and 1, 10 and 3, 11 and 1, 11 and 2, 10, 1 and 1, the year they famously tied Michigan, where, uh, what's his name? Gordon Gee called it our greatest victory ever against Michigan. That's back when Michigan kicked our ass all the time. But, that, but, that, but, but that's why he got fired, because you, you can't go 2-10 and 1 against your rival. Gene Stallings in that uh, Roll Tide War Eagle documentary, he said, you can't, he said, you can lose to Auburn, but you just can't lose to Auburn every year. Otherwise, you won't be coaching. Right? Like, so you can lose to Michigan. People can, you're not going to win everyone, but you can't lose to them every year. But Trestle elevates it and goes to 10 and 2 or I'm saying that you see me. He goes to yeah, yeah, well, he goes nine and one against he goes nine and one against Michigan. He's given you consistently um, ten and two every year, right? Um, but then eventually you hit that ceiling where you're not like they they get one championship, they play for two more, and they get 
kind of blown the doors off, right? So then you bring in Urban. And Urban does nothing but give you 12 win seasons. You get a national championship out of it, and then and then Dave just kind of keeps it rolling. Like I don't see that trajectory for Michigan at all. Like at no, all. not at all. No. So, so uh, and to your point, Alan, about like, I love your your comparison about Philip Fulmer because they, Michigan fans got tired of Lloyd Carr giving them ten and two every year, playing in either the Citrus Bowl or they get a Rose Bowl or you know something like that, and they're like, no, 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 we should be higher. Um, my understanding is they have a Michigan as a program has like the amount of twelve win seasons that they have as a program is the amount of Ohio State had last decade, or like or like the past like ten years or something, something ungodly. Oh, no, like, no, so they they definitely have a an, an altered reality. You know, I mean they've got what what one national championship in in four generations or something. And, and so so the analogy I'll, I'll give and then I'll. I'll shut up on the, on the, on the topic. But what was funny for me was, uh, um, I was talking to, uh, you know, unfortunately, well, fortunately or unfortunately, most sports fans are much, much more casual than we are, right? So, or, or they're, they're focused on one team and casual and everything else. But, um, I remember talking to a Michigan fan and the Appalachian State game come, came up. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and, and and that person's comment was, "Yeah, that goddamn Rich Rodriguez." And I said, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa!" I said that was a Lloyd Carr team that ended up nine and three and beat Florida in a bowl game. Yeah, they lost that the wasn't. Too. Yeah, yeah, but 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 I was like. You know, just check yourself a little bit here. They went nine and three that season. They were that was Mike Hart. They were good. They got beat that day, but they beat Florida in a freaking bowl game. Which, let's say, you know, Big Ten teams need to circle it when they beat an SEC team in a bowl game. Agreed. But but I just I just found it funny that the way the human mind works is they started to assign, you know, they assigned that loss to Rich Rodriguez even though it didn't happen. Well, here's something to think about. You think about this. So Michigan is the equivalent of the Cleveland Browns in terms of their football program, and here's why. Because they won a national title, what was it, 98? Was that 97? 97? They, 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 they won Nebraska. They yeah, Nebraska. Okay, Nebraska, yeah. so, so they won the late 90s. Then they start... The, the the champion the playoff or whatever they haven't been in it they've never been in it they've yeah. never played in I guess the de facto college Super Bowl if you will so they are the Cleveland Browns of college football they I'll were, one, they were once step, great I'll take you one step further they, I mean they haven't even played in the Big Ten championship game no they have not yeah that's right so I mean they're basically the people that remember Michigan being good are people our age. So I'm 43. I was like, you know, 49 or 50, I think. And Dennis is probably 39. I don't know. These guys are old. We're all older. We grew up in central Ohio. So we remember when they used to hand us our ass all the time in football. It, it, it doesn't happen anymore. It's done. The Michigan is done. 
well, the, the, the effectively thing, done. The, the thing I'll add to that is that a lot of the Michigan folklore, and and, and, and frankly, until this recent era, when Urban came and, and apparently this guy can sell fucking snowshoes to a goddamn penguin. Um, a, a lot of the folklore around the Big Ten was around Big Ten championships. Yes. You know, they, they, they would always conveniently ignore getting their ass kicked by USC or UCLA in the, in the Rose Bowl. Uh, but they were focusing on Michigan won the Big Ten championship. They won the Big Ten championship. Um, and, and they probably went for Ohio State a little bit, too. You, you know, the focus was on the Big Ten championship. I think it's generational, too. It's always about winning yes. the Big Ten and going to the Rose Bowl. Yeah. That don't mean shit anymore. <laughs> I mean, it really doesn't. It, but no. you, you date you date yourself when you when you talk about the college football like that. I mean, it's just not that kind of game anymore. I mean, it's basically, it's boiled down to, what, five or six, really four programs every year that have a puncher's chance, and one of them is 90%, 90% Alabama, and then throw Clemson in and Ohio State, and then whoever that fourth team is. Well, well you, you, yeah, you've got your top three that are your regular rotation, and then Georgia, LSU, and Florida. You know, Oklahoma. And, and, and occasionally and, Oklahoma, yeah. Yeah, and, and Oklahoma, uh, especially with the, the, the power. That, that Southwest, they've got a lot of power in, like, votes and stuff, um, which you see in, like, Heisman voting and sports MVP voting, but that's another conversation. But, uh, yeah, it, it's really those those squads. I mean, that, that, that's it. Um, it's wild. It's wild to think about. And I mean, every, you know, and I think that the difference between the conferences is, you know, Penn State can do their thing here and there. I think the SEC has a few more teams that can occasionally get that playmaker where they might knock somebody off uh, or have a magical season or something. But for the most part, you've got Alabama, OSU, and Clemson. Um, Oklahoma representing the Southwest, and then sometimes Georgia, LSU fit into the mix, and then Florida's always kind of right there, but they usually have one one loss that keeps them out of uh, whatever. Sorry, I'm right. Yeah, man. Yeah, sorry, Dennis. We we talked a lot about no, we went long on the college football. Yes, that's that's why you're here. I think it's we're talking about programs that have all this history and tradition, and to see them sort of um, hit a different level, one that's not really successful, is um, a bit shocking to the system. I'll say as a as a kid growing up in the John Cooper two fourteen and one era, you know, every time we play Michigan, I get nervous every time we played them, even though upon being honest. The game that scares me more is Penn State, and so to see them both fall off, it's like, come on, like, like I need you guys to be good so that way when we play, um, you know, it elevates the resume and whatnot. But um, I know it's getting late, so one last thing I want to cover. This came up in the news the other day, and I thought you guys would be perfect to talk to about this. Um, this is sort of in your wheelhouse. So the baseball Hall of Fame ballot came out the other day. And when I looked at the ballot, 
I said to myself, based on what I'm seeing, if if and I'm gonna be I'm gonna show my bias here. So full disclosure, Barry Bonds was my favorite player growing up, and in my mind. If Griffey doesn't take steroids, if Griffey takes steroids, he's Bonds, and if Bonds doesn't take steroids, he's Griffey. And my, when I look at this list and I see who's on there, all of these guys in my mind are borderline Hall of Famers. There's no slam dunks here. So when I think about Bonds and Clemens, if these guys don't get in now, especially when we're talking about baseball writers who turn the blind eye to steroids and then came back and said, no, you can't get in because you took steroids. The hypocrisy just drives me nuts. But I thought you guys would be good to talk about or talk with, based on this Hall of Fame ballot, who do you guys think is a Hall of Fame based on based on who's eligible? Patrick? Uh, Alan, you go first. Hang on a second. I, I, I somehow brought, brought up the, 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 the wrong visual here for the conversation. So, um, so well, I'll tell you. I'll go. I'll go. Um, yeah, yeah, you got to go. I, I don't. I'm not a baseball guy. I, I well, I used to be. My full disclosure. Uh, my um, favorite team growing up was the Minnesota Twins uh, because my favorite player of all time is Kirby Puckett, um, pre woman beating. Uh, because he was a short husky guy playing center field and I was a short husky kid. So, uh, that being said, um, but as it, you know, time has kind of gone on, I've kind of worn off. And like I said, they haven't won a playoff game in 20 years, which is really weird. But, um, to me, to your point, Dennis, it seems as though, uh, I can't remember what the baseball, who, what the baseball writer was, but they were talking about the steroid era and they made the comment that either you should let all of them in or you should let none of them in. Because there is some complicity, uh, uh, writers are complicit in terms of turning a blind eye. Baseball is complicit in some instances, uh, turning a blind eye. Um, so I don't, even if you take the steroids away, I, there's, Barry Bonds is a Hall of Famer. Steroids or no steroids, Barry Bonds is a Hall of Famer. So I feel like he should be in. Um, if you wanted to tell me that Clemens, you want, you want to keep him out, I, I guess you can keep him out, but I don't, I feel like he's got the numbers, at least from what I know. It seems like he has the numbers that he should be in. Um, and then I'm open to discussion on, on anybody else, but I do feel like those guys should definitively be in. And, and to be clear, some of the guys that were on the ballot this year were guys like Gary Sheffield or Andrew Jones or Kurt Schilling. Um, and those are all great baseball players, and I'm not saying that they're worthy of consideration because I think they are. But those guys aren't like it's not like Derek Jeter or Rivera or um, you know one of these guys. So like, it's, it's without a doubt. Well, just just to clarify for. Anybody listening, some of those guys have been on the ballot for a while, right? So, like, you know, Schilling, Clemens, Bonds, they've all been on for a while. I think the, the new additions were uh, somebody, I think it was Tory Hunter was one of them that we talked about yes. uh, in texting. And some of the pitchers from, like, the early 2000s, like Tim Hudson, Barry Zito, the guys that pitched for the A's, those guys were all new to the ballot. 
So as far as like the new guys that are on the ballot, and, it, and I'm Googling it now uh, just so I can see it. Uh, yeah, Tim Hudson, Mark Burley, Torrey Hunter, Dan Heron, Barry Zito, Aramis Ramirez, Shane Victorino, A.J. Burnett, Latroy Hawkins, Michael Kadire. Those are all first-year ballot guys that are eligible, and none of those guys, with the exception of possibly Torrey Hunter, are, uh, right. hall of, are, are Hall of Famers, in my opinion. But so now you're talking. Now we're talking about guys like Sheffield, who's this is his seventh year on the ballot. Schilling is ninth year. Clemens ninth year. Bonds ninth year. So yeah, I guess it, if you if you're gonna listen, the Hall of Fame is. I I pre I'm I'm a fan of it. I'm a, I love it. I love going there. It's it's fun. I'm a baseball guy. So I do think that you have to figure out a way to somehow immortalize the careers of Bonds and Clemens and these guys that are on the list, right? So eventually they're going to have to get in. And I don't know if it's – go ahead. No, I was just saying, it sounds like almost what you're saying is if there's ever a year to put them in based on who they have on the ballot now, it would be this year. Well, I'm kind of saying that I, – I, listen, the baseball writers, and Alan will tell you this – even more than I can because he has great examples, but baseball writers are assholes for the most part and are, it's a, it's a dirty little guild of shitty small guys that never played sports, right? That just are really good at writing and like to tell stories, blah, 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 blah. blah. There's a long history with baseball writers of real fucked up MVP voting. There's, mm-hmm. a long, there's a long history of casting Hall of Fame. Just oh, I, I, I don't want him to be unanimous. You, you know, it, it, and 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 it it, it it's annoying. Um, so it's it, annoying. It's hard. It, yeah. And you add to that that um, the more you read and learn and watch. And, and, you know, some of those things that we've always used as kind of our benchmarks for Hall of Fame in any sport, like MVPs, and then, but then you see people who are elected to them, you're like, well, that was a bad vote. Um, so do MVPs really matter to me? You, you know, so, so, so it, it's a complex thing. Um, I, I, I will go ahead and, and kick off real quick just because I'm not shy. Dennis, I'm right there with you. I, I know for a fact, and, and people could throw statistics at me all day, and they could throw syringes at me all day. I know for a fact the two greatest baseball players I've watched in person are Ken Griffey Jr. and Barry Bonds. When I had the Major League Baseball package, I would be flipping around games and I would get timing. Uh, so, so like, I would be watching the Mets, say, or the Twins, but I would take note of where the Giants were in their game so that I could flip to when I thought Barry Bonds was going to be hitting again. Um, the, the, the home run he hit off Troy Percival just landed in my front yard yesterday. Um, <laughs> is that the one with the World Series? 
Yeah, that's the one from the yeah. World Series. That's the furthest. Yeah. Baseball, that's the furthest baseball I've ever seen hit in my life, ever. Um, that's what he said. Those were his words. Um, or that was uh, Tim Salmon, or one yeah, of those guys. Yes. Uh, Joe Morgan <laughs> broke down his swing one night on a on a Sunday night and showed him relaxing his shoulders and deciding not to swing when the pitch was a third of the way to the plate, whereas with every other player that Morgan examined, they did the same thing when the pitch was two-thirds of the way to the plate. So regardless of what people try to say, he was a special hitter. Um, he only got about four pitches to hit per game, and he didn't fucking miss. So uh, I'll, let me add to that, too, because I remember a, a segment where – Peter Gammons did a thing about Bonds. It was like 2000, 2001, where he was in spring training covering the Giants, and he was telling a story about how Barry was working with his dad, at, you know, uh, Bobby, mm-hmm. and they were – he was throwing – a Bobby was throwing balls to him, like, in front of him, like, in a spot. And he would only swing if it was in this one spot. So he basically trained himself, which is why he drew a lot of walks, because he really only knew that he could do something with it in this little zone. And then you think about, like, excuse me, the greatest people that ever figured out how to do hitting really well. Ted Williams is on the list. Tony Gwynn is on that list. Kirby Puckett, to a certain extent, uh, Brian is on that list. He figured this out. Right. So he had this like other thing and yeah, he bulked up and his neck got big and his head got big. Sure. All of that's true, but he was still the best baseball player that I ever saw play. Well, the, the, the thing that put it over the top for me was the, the, the Greg Maddox thing that circulated recently where Maddox was like, uh, somebody asked him about Barry Bonds and he goes, actually, he was the easiest hitter I ever pitched to. Because if it was an important situation, I just walked away. It just walked, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. That's what I was going to say. My favorite Bond story is Buck Showalter for the Diamondbacks walks Bonds. The bases are loaded, and he walks Bonds and gives up the run intentionally. Like, I'm not yeah. pitching to you with the bases loaded. I'll give up the run before I pitch to you. Yeah. But, but, but so, so, so what it's worth, so, so full disclosure – I'm going to adopt this, even though I usually like to be a little bit more clear, I'm going to adopt the same asshole approach that baseball writers usually adopt when they're voting for these things. I'm not going to vote for Roger Clemens because I don't like him. He threw a broken bat at a Mets player in a World Series game. That's you got to get over that. You got to get over that. He's not going to get over it. He's been bitching about that for 20 years. Well, especially when, and Patrick can attest to this, long before everything came out, I was telling yeah. everybody, I knew who the, I always done who the stereotypes in baseball were. You know, when a guy has three straight, like, 10 and 7 seasons, and then he's suddenly going 25 and 4 every year. I've got a pretty good idea of who the steroid users are. But it, 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 not that I even care. Because, like, how do we define performance enhancement? I mean, I know plenty of people who need a cup of coffee to get going in the morning. That's performance enhancement. But, um, but, but I just don't like Clemens, so I'm, I'm not going to vote for him. Um, 
Alan, along that line, uh, that's why if we're going with that logic that I can't vote for Kurt Schilling, because Kurt Schilling in the bloody sock and getting shot up with cortisone. Cortisone is a steroid. It's a performance yeah. enhancer, therefore he's disqualified in my mind. But that's another story for another day. <laughs> right. <laughs> Alan, I just go. I just looked it up on Baseball Reference. Clemens's last three seasons in Boston, and by the way, he was 31, 32, and 33. He years of age. He was nine and seven, ten and five, and ten and thirteen. Okay, ninety seven goes to Toronto, wins twenty one games. Ninety eight. <laughs> 98, 98, 98. And he pitched 264 innings that year. 264 innings that year. And then in 98, he's 35. He goes 20 and 6. Wins the Cy Young at age 34 and 35 after basically having three years of normal decline, we would see for a power, a power pitcher like Clemens was right. So I, I think, aside from just not liking him, I, I think the big difference for me is that Barry Bonds was a Hall of Famer before he did. That's it. what I'm saying. Like he was a Hall of Famer before. Take the sit the steroids aside. Like if you look at his numbers pre steroids, he's already in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Well, let me let me just let me let me tell you something real quick because I got it in front of me. His first year. Now, if you guys remember, if you're old enough to remember Candlestick Park, where they played baseball in San Francisco for a long time. Okay, so his first his first year in San Francisco in '93, he hit 46 home runs and drove in 123 runs. Yeah, it was the MVP that year. His back-to-back MVPs. I'm, I'm surprised they didn't try to give it to Jeff Kent again. Um, oh, he wasn't there yet. <laughs> but, but, but yeah. So I, so I've got Barry. Um, I'm leaving off Roger Clemens just because I'm exercising my my right to be a dick. I've got. Uh, I'll, I'll check off Todd Helton. He was a great hitter. Um, I've got Tory Hunter um, because I, I I don't assign the the great defensive players get elected to Cooperstown just to the shortstop position. I think that can actually apply to other positions as well. Plus, he was just shy of 2,500 hits. That guy um, was a sports center highlight. Like, in the summertime. Fuck yeah, he was. That guy was a sports center highlight. Corey um, Hunter was good. Um, I, I've, I've got Manny Ramirez. I've got some thinking to do on Scott Rowland. Um you know, if Kurt Schilling wasn't such an asshole, I'd probably vote for him, but I, I got to leave that. Uh, Gary Sheffield's got the fastest bat through the strike zone I ever saw, so he's got my vote. I'm leaving Sosa alone just because the he just had too big of a peak. Um, he's Haley's comment. You, you he know, showed up. You, well, 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 he he he's the. He's the hitting version of Clemens, right, where decent players started to decline, and all of a sudden something happened. Yeah, I can remember um, the end of my freshman year in college. We would be in, like, studios, and we would make everybody stop and turn baseball on because McGuire Sosa was coming up the bat. Like, like he, right. like Haley's comment, like, he just showed up out of nowhere and for, like, four years hit 60 home runs, and it was like – Okay, I, I I guess. And then uh so so uh and then 
you know, I'm, I'm not voting for Vizquel. I, I just I, I, too, too much of the story of his success is longevity. Um, but yes, yeah, so, so, so those are mine. Sheffield, um, one of the great hitters. Hunter, just a great defensive player. Uh, Manny, just a great, great hitter. Uh, Helton, great hitter. And of course, Bonds, you know, I mean, top five of all time. Top, top three. Yeah. I mean, really, when you look at, I mean, yeah, top three. I mean, you could make an argument. But, yeah. You could make an argument that Bonds is the best baseball player alive. Like, I know they said that oh, absolutely. Willie and, and Hank Aaron, as great as Willie Mays and Hank Aaron were, uh, there's nothing like Bonds. Like, no, there's just nothing like Bonds. Uh, Pittsburgh, San Francisco, I, I, there's just nothing like Bonds in my mind. Um, he walked 232 times in 2004. In the season, 2004 season, he he drew 232 base on balls. There are teams in the Major League Baseball right now that the whole fucking team doesn't draw. 232 walks in a fucking season. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's insane. That that he had the that season or two where he literally got one ball to hit per game and he still yep. didn't fucking miss it. Yeah, steroids or no steroids, there's a handful of people in the history of the planet that can do that. Uh, yeah, so to me, I don't really think you can. You can have a Hall of Fame without him, and I would honestly – I think it's long overdue. I think this would probably be the year. Sneak it in. Call it COVID sickness or whatever. The voters finally came to their senses, whatever you want to call it. And they're just like, listen, we'll put him in. Everybody kind of knows this story. Uh, does, it, does it really matter? Does anybody even care about baseball anymore <laughs> is another thing to think about. Well, side note, does, does, Ro- does Rose ever get in? Because I feel like they're waiting for him to die to put him in. No, nah, they can't put him in. He signed an agreement. Oh, he signed. Oh, okay. I forgot about the agreement. Okay. All right. I mean, he, he, he doomed himself with a piece of paper and thought he was going to be able to just use his, his presence to override it. Well, well not only... And I think not only that. Well, I think commissioners that have followed have used it as a point of reverence to Giamatti because that shit killed Giamatti. I I mean, there were obviously a lot of factors go in, but it didn't help. Um, That that shit contributed to killing that dude. And and I I think a lot of people are are hesitant to reverse that. I want to give you credit for this, Alan, because you've shaped my perspective on this 20-odd years ago. And, I, you know, we were talking about Pete Rose, and you said, listen, and I'm going to do a lot of paraphrasing, and you said this. The reason why Pete can't go in is because you have a professional sport that is a competition, and if you allow someone that has compromised the integrity, whether you believe he bet on the Reds or against them or whatever, 
if you put something like that in, I think that something about you said something about it turns into the WWF now, right? Because the integrity is gone. Then people don't know we're watching a competition. If you let one guy in and they say, oh, it's okay, then it's a, it's a slippery slope, right? So I've always felt that way since. I mean, Pete's a, a great baseball mind and a great baseball guy, but you know, he can argue all he wants. He signed the paper. There are a number of people that have gone on record and said that he was a fucking piece of shit as far as gambling. And yes, he bet against the fucking Reds. That's, I believe that. And he had direct outcome, you know, of those games. So even early on when, when the argument was, I've never been against my team. You know, one of the things that I remember thinking was, well, it, you're still making a statement on the days that you don't bet on them. You, you know, sure. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, so, so, yeah, he, um, you know, great player, played hard as hell, um, dumbass, gambling problem, um, I have no opinion on it. Like, if somebody were to come out and have a declaration that, hey, Pete Rose is not a fan now, they're like, oh, hey, that, yeah, that, you know, there are some people in Cincinnati who are going to be happy. I don't care. He's, he's a basically, he's a Cincinnati dirtball. And if you know Cincinnati, like, if you really know Cincinnati, and I kind of do, he fits that Cincinnati dirtball profile. Like, that's just what he is at his heart and soul. And I have heard no, he's not. A, he doesn't belong in. I've heard Cincinnati referred to in a lot of different ways. Dirtball is not one. Of them. <laughs> That's a new hey, one, man. Yeah, it's there, a it, it's, I've never heard that. It's a it's a real it's a real sleazy place, man. Don't get don't get it twisted. Cincinnati is not the is not the queen city anymore it hasn't been for a long long actually time. you know what matter of fact i just saw in the news didn't they have like the city councilman who got arrested for bribery charges listen that happens all the time i'm just saying this is some this is a bullshit town when you really look at it all i know is the Bengals are the only nfl team that doesn't have an indoor practice facility that's 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 yes yeah, so right by the freeway you drive you drive right by it and they shut the bridge down the other day because it caught on fire <laughs> Not because of the Bengals wow. being bad, but yeah. All right. Um, well, with that, guys, I guess we'll wrap up. Any any parting shots for you guys? Uh, I, I'm just worried I probably made us go on too long. Oh, don't worry about that. This, this was good. This was good. I think we ran. No, the, I mean, uh, this, I, I mean this is just. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, that is a stalling t- a tactic, you know, to, to the four corners. But, you know, for anyone listening, like, this is basically, like, just a audio version of our text chain between the four of us. And, pretty much. And pretty much any happy hour or any time that we've gotten together over drinks, like, uh, I remember one time, we, cause we used to always banter about, like, who was the greatest this or that. And so I think Alan one time, I think he created the list, and we just all met at the Regal Beagle one time. And we're like, okay, we're going to figure this out, this whole list. And we just sat there for hours. So, like, this is this is just the audio version of what we do in text messages every day. <laughs> and, and Pretty much. We could do it at happy hours at some point. 
And, and listen, yeah. chances are people aren't going to like it, and fuck them. You know, we don't care. <laughs> with, 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 with COVID, this is the new happy hour. No, it is. You get together, you talk, you record it, and then you let people listen who are they're trying to clean their cars out. Given the amount of drinks that got made in the last hour and a half here, um, yeah, I, I would say this is the COVID happy hour. Oh, for sure. Well, I would I will do this again if you want me to. I, I don't think I added much. I certainly know uh, I didn't actually, but uh, I want to give Alan credit for not bringing up Nike and conspiracy theories. He needs his own fucking podcast for that shit. Like he can start his own for that. And maybe maybe that maybe that's maybe that's a spinoff. Maybe he and I start a podcast where I just sit there and go, "Man, you're full of shit the whole time," and he just spews stuff. And I just go, "Man, that's fucking bullshit." You really believe that, Alan? You go put your head on the pillow at night, believing that shit. <laughs> that that would just be the whole podcast. You might listen to that. And, and, and we, we, you know what we title it? We, we would title it. Friends like these, eh, Gary? Yeah, friends <laughs> like these, eh, Gary? This fucking guy. He's not a friend of mine. He's just some wacko I've met at Nationwide 20 years ago. I can't get rid of him. Yeah, I can't, I, what am I going to do? Anyway, thank you for having me. <laughs> yes, this was fun. Yeah, My first and last podcast was great. <laughs> oh, no, we're starting one. Yeah, we're starting one, Alan. You and I, we're going to sit, we're going to talk. It's going to be called Baseball Stats and Other Stuff. We're just going to go, hey, man, do you know this guy did this one year? And we're going to sit there and, like, come in our pants, like, oh, my God, this guy hit like that. Because we like that shit. Alan and I love baseball stats. You know what you guys should do? You, sh- you guys should come to the – really, we should all go. We, we did a couple years ago. We'll go to the Baseball Hall of Fame. I know you guys aren't super big baseball fans, but it is fun. It, it, just to see, look at some of these great players, and just the town is really charming. Uh, it, it's a great place. So, and, and Alan and I are going to go. We're members. We go every – well, we did go a couple years ago, but we, we buy our memberships every year is what I'm saying. Speaking of that, the next time I have you guys on, we need to explore – this is a legitimate conspiracy theory, uh, but there is a conspiracy theory that's been going around the Internet that Babe Ruth was secretly black. And they let him pass because oh. he was light skin and because he was so good. I'll talk about that. They could not afford to let him go to the Negro Leagues, so they let him pass as a white man, and he blew all the numbers out of the water. But secretly, he was black the whole time, and they knew, and they just kept it a secret. Yeah, there, there, there is a lot around that. It's a big reason why Ty, Ty Cobb hated him. Uh, I've never heard of that. But, but but I know that Patrick has read a lot more and watched a lot more in Babe Ruth than I have. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I read. Uh, go, go ahead. I only heard this rumor um, because uh, there was another rumor going around that Mike Tirico believes he's Italian, that he's not black. <laughs> well, that's that. <laughs> listen, that that might be true. We got to be careful with that one. That that one might be true. I heard that, and, and I heard that, and about did a double take when I first heard it, and started looking into it, and then someone else brought up, well, if you think that's crazy, then they brought up the Babe Ruth thing, which I had never heard of. So we'll have to say that. Well, episode, but. That, well, so yeah, so if anybody's listening, they're interested. Lee, I think his name was Lee Montvale. He he wrote yeah, he Lee wrote Montvale, two bi- good writer. 
he he's a great writer. He wrote two biographies. I read them both, one on Ted Williams and the other one on Babe Ruth. And pretty early on in the Babe Ruth one, they talk about specifically what you just mentioned, that the, I don't necessarily think he was black, but they did call him N-word lips. That was what they called him. And he hated that so much. There's so, in, 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 in Alan's calling out Ty Cobb hated his fucking guts and used to call him that. Like, like he wanted to fight people over it. And it kind of drove him to like, you know, hit the fucking ball over the fence. But yeah, he, they did call him the N word lips. That was his nickname back in the day. Not very nice at all, but that's what they call it. Well, that was a different time. No. Different, a different time. By the way, it's hard for me to was it though, Dennis? <laughs> was it really that different, Dennis? It wasn't that different. Listen, There's hard. been white assholes oh, well, in this country since they they landed here. No, no, no. I, anyway, I, I, sorry, I'll get us way off the rails. No, 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 no. I, no, 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 I don't disagree with that. I'm just saying that you need to take all those records pre-Jackie <laughs> seriously. It's a segregated time, and you're telling me these these. You can't. I can't. I, I, the best baseball player that ever lived might be Josh Gibson, and no one knows about it. The best pitcher might be Satchel yes. Paige, and no one knows about it. So it's hard for me to take baseball seriously when the whole thing was segregated from the beginning. Then Jackie Robinson shows up, and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, what is this? So it, it's just really hard for me to take anything prior to Jackie Robinson seriously. But Agreed. we'll save that for another day. So with that, I want to thank my guests, uh, Pat, Allen, and Brian, for coming on and running the the four corner offense to perfection. Dean Smith would be very proud of us. Um, <laughs> I'm sure he would. Effectively stalled the uh, stalled the offense to the point to cement this win. So um, with that, I want to thank you guys for tuning. In.